Welcome back to Grace Point Go, Grace Point's podcast where you can listen to conversations and interviews and devotionals all on the go. How do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? How do we know that the resurrection is trustworthy? How do we defend the resurrection when people bring questions and doubts about it? Well, these are some things that Jared will be addressing in today's episode. And speaking of the resurrection, this Sunday is Easter Sunday. We have services at 9 and 11 a.m. We look forward to worshiping and joining with you then. And on Good Friday, we have a uh, an experience in the lower half of our building, journeying through the emotions of Easter. That will be between 6 and 8 p.m., as well as a uh, prayer and worship uh, service in the sanctuary between 6.30 and 7.30. We look forward to seeing you this weekend. We look forward to worshiping with you and thank you for joining us for today's episode. Well, it's good to be with you on a special week. Uh, If you happen to be listening to us right now, we are just a few days away from Resurrection Sunday uh, and uh, looking forward to an incredible time of worship, uh, such a special time in the church. and it all centers around the hope and the confidence of our faith. Uh, it really is a celebration uh, because everything we think and believe about God, everything that we put our hope and trust and confidence in centers on this um, incredible uh, and, and uh, wonderful truth that Jesus Christ conquered the grave. And there are profound implications to that. Uh, to the, ex- to the extent that it, it warrants um, an understanding for how we can know the resurrection actually occurred. The significance of the resurrection is that it most simply validates and affirms everything that Jesus ever said and ever did uh, in his years and his ministry on earth. Um, wh- what do I mean by that? Well, most significantly, Jesus claimed to be God. Um, it, it is um, an important understanding of Jesus's deity that um, his claims of God were recognized and understood by others. It, it, we, we know, for example, like in John 10, that the religious leaders wanted to stone him and kill him. And they even say that it's not for like doing good things that we want to do this, but that you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Um, and so Jesus claimed to be God. Um, and in that claim to be the, the way of life, the way of salvation. He spoke to the woman at the well in John 4 and, and said to the same effect, anyone who drinks this water, referring to the water in the ground, you know, will perish. There's only a temporary refreshing that comes from that. But those who drink of this water that I give, it, it will not end. Jesus referring to himself as this living water. Um, and so on and on again, we see this. We see Jesus say that he is the resurrection and the life um, in, in John uh, as well, John 15. Uh, and so what we have is a reoccurring uh, value of Jesus claiming to be God. Um, and this, again, is why the resurrection is important. But it's also not just what he claimed to say and how the resurrection validates these things, but that Jesus ultimately died on the cross. And he did that as a sacrifice, as an offering uh, to God in his righteousness for our behalf. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for example, chapter 5, uh, that 
God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sent on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus uh, came to this world and, and lived this life of righteousness that only God could do and died in, on the cross in our place so that through his life, um, the wrath of God upon sin could be thoroughly complete, poured out upon Christ, who died in our place. Now, this is where the resurrection is so relevant and meaningful, and why, again, we celebrate and have so much hope and confidence. Because the resurrection, as I said a moment ago, validates and affirms everything Jesus ever said and did. Because if Jesus did not rise from the grave, the resurrection did not occur, what we celebrate on Easter, if none of those things happened, then Jesus' claims, for example, that he's God, therefore, by his life uh, being thoroughly righteous, right, that was just a lie. It was just a man talking and saying wild and crazy things, which oftentimes any of us can do. We can say wild and crazy things. The resurrection not happening makes Jesus' claims to be crazy lies. And if the resurrection doesn't occur, then Jesus' death on the cross was just one of millions upon millions of deaths that have occurred throughout human history. His life fades away with no real impact or value because death is the payment of sin. The Bible tells us this, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Paul says in Ephesians 2.1 that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. This is the consequence going all the way back to Genesis. When Adam and Eve and rebellion ate of the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thereby in doing that caused sin. It created separation. God very physically removed them from his presence out of the garden, east of, the, of Eden, it says, not only physically severing a relationship with God, but spiritually as well, for it produced death. My point is that if the resurrection doesn't occur, then Jesus, again, amounts to be nothing more than just you and me. A, a person uh, captured to the last enemy, Paul calls it, which is sin and death. So the resurrection means everything to our faith. Because if the resurrection did occur then it means that Jesus overcame sin, which validates and affirms his claims, but his possession of righteousness and his authority over all things in both life and death. And so um, it's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, in giving a great explanation, a great apologetic, like why we believe what we believe, that's what that word apologetic means, 1 Corinthians 15 is, is a wonderful chapter uh, to reflect on this Easter season. But he says specifically in verse 17 that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Uh, some translations use the word vain. And he says you are still in your sins. And so the resurrection does mean everything. 
there's a lot we can unpack as we prepare our hearts for Resurrection Sunday uh, this coming Easter. Um, I just wanted to take a, a little bit of time in this podcast um, to, I guess, practically give th- a, a reason for our confidence. Um, w- w- you know, why, why can we have such hope as we approach this Resurrection Sunday? And, and in that sense, live each day in the confidence of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Well, practically, there are some ways that we can think about the resurrection and feel great and have a strong certainty that Jesus Christ has indeed conquered the grave. Now, there are a lot of people today who want to question and challenge that because they want to question and challenge Jesus' place as God in their life. And if you can dispute and reject the resurrection, um, you are, in in effect, able to prop up something else or someone else, perhaps even yourself, into a place of ultimate authority. And so the resurrection means everything, not just in terms of salvation, but in terms of lordship and, and who has supremacy over our life. And so this is, again, why, as a nature of sin and pride and rebellion, people want to refute, dispute, question and challenge many things related to faith, and our Christian creed, but most importantly, it's the resurrection. And, and so how do, we, how do we reconcile that? How do we answer that, even on a practical level? How can we feel good about the faith that we believe? And you know, friends, our faith is not a blind faith. God is a God of revelation. He has made himself abundantly clear through things generally like the specific and wonderful design of creation and through the immediate and special revelation of his word given to us through the Holy Spirit, uh, written by human authors, to the manifestation, we the incarnation of God himself in flesh. As John 1.14 says, Jesus himself. And so God is not um, keeping himself... Um, in such a way that we are left with constant confusion and question, we can be certain about our faith. And the resurrection is certainly one of those things. So I just want to kind of go through basically three basic uh, kind of theories that people like to uh, prop up and suggest uh, in regards to questioning the resurrection's validity. The first one that is often questioned or raised against the resurrection is what's called the swoon theory. Uh, the swoon theory. Now, now this argument um, basically suggests this idea that Jesus never really died as a result of the crucifixion. Uh, that that they, in fact, just mistakenly declared Jesus dead and then placed him in the tomb. And then, naturally, after three days, Jesus, uh, you know, just kind of coming to his senses, awakes inside of this tomb and emerges from the grave and and basically convinces his followers that he rose from the dead. This is the swoon theory, okay? Again, Jesus never really died. They just made a mistake thinking that he died and, and effectively proceeded to bury him, in this case, place him in, in a tomb closed by, you know, uh, a couple thousand pound stone. Well, there's a lot of problems with this. And again, this is an example of what I mean by just the practical, logical um, uh, ways of understanding the implication of the resurrection um, in the gospel accounts and in the early church. For example, 
uh, the Romans who um, did the crucifixion, they were expert executioners. They had been doing the crucifixion uh, long before this moment with Jesus. This wasn't like a one-time thing um, that Jesus was crucified and placed in the middle of two thieves, and somehow, you know, the Romans had never done this before, and to make a special circumstance for Jesus, um, they did this for the very first time. They were expert executioners. And as executioners, they were presiding over Jesus's death to make certain that he died. Like, they don't make mistakes about this. Frankly, look, it's it's not hard, right? In, in, in the practice of an execution, it, it's not rocket science to, in effect, actually kill somebody. Um, all the more when you're dealing with experts in this area. We also know from the biblical record that they broke Jesus' legs to hasten that death. Uh, making it even harder for him to support his weight, um, causing a, 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 a quicker um, process of effectively drowning in his own fluids through a lack of air. And then we know that they put a spear through Jesus' side in John 19, verse 34. The Gospels record that blood and water spill out of this wound, indicating death by traumatic shock and acute heart failure. More than this, we even if we did assume, all right, let's just be hypothetical. Let, let's just assume Jesus did survive the crucifixion. There are still numerous challenges for the swoon theory to overcome. You'd have to ask yourself just basic questions like how did Jesus, even if he did survive, he clearly would have been very weak, fragile, probably hanging on by to dear life, and yet somehow he unwraps himself from a mummy-like burial cloth. If you've ever been wrapped tightly um, in just your, let's say, uh, your sheets at night or growing up, if your mom and dad ever tucked you in and kind of wrapped you up like a burrito, you know how hard it is to move your body when you don't have room to wiggle around. So how does Jesus get out of the mummy-like cloths? How, if barely alive, does Jesus move a large stone that blocks the tomb's entrance. How, if after these things occur, does Jesus get past a guard unit placed by Pilate to make the tomb secure? Not to mention the fact that these soldiers, basically their own lives are at stake should they fail at their responsibility. So how does Jesus get past them with such high motivation? And and then... Being bruised and battered, Jesus convinces followers that he's the risen Lord who triumphantly conquers the grave. But what happens to Jesus if he wasn't God incarnate who rose from the grave and ascended in heaven? Are we to believe that someone of Jesus' acclaim just disappeared from history, never to be seen or heard from again? So the Swoon Theory is ultimately a desperate attempt to explain away the overwhelming historical evidence for the literal and physical resurrection of Jesus. There's there's another theory. Um, This theory is known as the conspiracy theory option. So we have the swoon theory. Jesus didn't really die. Uh, The conspiracy theory is an argument that suggests that Jesus' disciples made the whole story up. This is a very popular one. 
You're going to hear this very common even today, that, that, that this is a fabricated story, you know, the classic story of catching a fish, and then every time you tell the story, the fish just keeps getting bigger. This is the simplicity of how people want to approach the resurrection. It's just a story, a myth that has grown over time, that Jesus died, there was no resurrection, he was buried, and then the disciples on their own, began to kind of promote this idea that he rose from the grave. Now, if that's the case, one has to ask themselves, and this is where it's important and an encouragement to our faith. There are very basic questions we need to begin to think about as far as this idea of the disciples making the story up, starting with what's their motivation? Right? What's the motivation for the disciples making up this story? Their teacher and master has literally just been killed due to the claims that he was making. And we're supposed to believe that a couple of days later, the first thing that kind of comes on the minds of these disciples is they kind of have this light bulb moment saying, hey, here's a great idea. How about we make this story up? Because look how well it turned out for Jesus, <laughs> right? I mean, it just, from a very common practical idea, it seems almost laughable that we would suggest that the disciples, even if you want to, even if you want to say, hey, they're uneducated men, they're fishermen, they're not idiots, right? So what's their motivation for making up this story? Do they honestly believe that in a hostile first century Jewish religious culture, paired with the political environment of the Roman Empire that just saw the execution of Jesus, that somehow by making up this story, they're going to be heralded as wonderful men and be given great prestige and power and wealth? It, it seems incredible to believe that. It almost takes more faith to believe that than in the resurrection itself. Um, in fact, tradition tells us that all of the disciples but one were eventually martyred for their profession of faith that Jesus was Lord. The conspiracy theory option has to also explain the radical transformation evidenced in the disciples' lives just after the crucifixion. Right? The Gospels report that when Jesus was arrested, the disciples fled, they went into hiding, some even denied knowing him, fearing that they might be next. And yet shortly after this execution, the disciples are boldly and even publicly, I mean, in the city square, around the, the temple courts, they are publicly proclaiming, embracing the hostility, being thrown into prison. There is an absence of fear. What accounts for that radical transformation? You also have to take into, into consideration the rapid growth of the early church, right? If, if the disciples were just making this up, you would, you would think that there'd have to be something other than just their story or their credibility to generate such energy and zeal when it came to the explosion of the growth of the early church. And what that, what we have to consider is that the evidence beyond their own um, testimony is, again, the fact that the tomb was empty. You see in 1 Corinthians 15 this reminder that there were dozens and hundreds of people who 
claimed to have an eyewitness account of the risen Jesus. And so what you have is verifiable, factual, physical experiences that relate to the testimony and the zeal of the early disciples. And all of this, again, supports the credibility of the resurrection. A final, and I'll leave us with this, a final kind of alternate story that is created today to try to kind of dismiss or dissuade the idea of Christ's deity and authority due to the fact that he didn't rise from the grave is what is called the stolen body theory. Okay, so you have the swoon theory that tells you that Jesus didn't really die. He just kind of came back around again and took himself out of the grave. You have the conspiracy theory that says Jesus really did die, and that the disciples just kind of made up the story. Now, similar to that is the stolen body theory. And this option states that Jesus did not physically rise from the grave, okay, like the conspiracy theory, but that rather his disciples stole the body from the tomb, disposed of it somewhere else, and then declared that Jesus had been resurrected. All right. Now, there are a number of problems with this option as well. Okay. And some of these are repetitive, but first, Jesus' tomb was protected by armed guards. Okay. That's why this is the third and distinct alternative, because what you have to understand now is if that's the argument someone wants to use, that Jesus stole the body, in order to prove the resurrection, the grave was empty, okay, well, you have to start asking yourself again some basic questions. How did they do that? How did a band of fishermen, basically, you know, right, a dozen of them at most, um, 11 now with Judas gone, how did they go to the tomb that's protected by elite Roman soldiers, even a, a, a segment of perhaps Jewish temple guards? These individuals would have themselves perhaps been put to death if they failed in their responsibilities had the tomb been broken into. All right, so how did the how did the disciples do that, overcome the Roman soldiers, um, and therefore have even access to the tomb in order to take Jesus' body? Second, you still have the problem we discussed earlier, which would be that the disciples' motive for taking the body, right, they have nothing to gain from doing that. And they only have everything to lose. Third, a stolen body, as I just said earlier with the conspiracy theory, doesn't account for the eyewitness testimonies to the resurrection. This isn't a weekend at Bernie's, if you've ever seen the movie. right? They're not propping Jesus up on some platform with sticks in his arms to kind of make him seem like he's alive. So how do you have hundreds of people verify their experience and interaction with the living Jesus. Now, skeptics will want to argue and suggest to you that all of these people are lying or that all of these people were hallucinating or making up stories. But it's hard for us to believe that when the accuracy and the consistency of such things is impossible to replicate, right? Nowhere do we find evidence, what I'm trying to suggest, of people having a reoccurring hallucination, and then that's multiplied by hundreds of people, and therefore verifying a singular or unified account. So there is something distinctly unique when it comes to the hundreds of eyewitness accounts. 
A fourth thing related to this um, stolen body theory is, again, related to a previous point I made, is that how do you account for the growth of the early church in a hostile environment of a first century context where neither Jew or Roman is um, supportive of seeing this Messiah message continue? All right. How does that succeed? The only thing that can account for such growth is the verifiable, authoritative proof of the risen Savior himself. Think of the doubting Thomas, right? You had one who could literally touch and see the wounds of the crucifixion, and it changed Thomas forever. My Lord and my God, Thomas said. And lastly, the stolen body theory can't account for the radical change we see, for example, in the ongoing growth of the church, like in the story of the Apostle Paul, who was Saul. He was a zealot, a persecutor of the church, who became an apostle, and one who was responsible for the, the greatest uh the greatest mission work of the church by bringing the idea of the gospel and the risen Savior not only to the Jewish but to the Gentile world as well. So friends, be encouraged uh, as we approach this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday. Uh, the world and many are going to want to raise questions, cause doubts, try to inc increase our insecurity. Is this really true? Did this really occur? But we can have confidence in our salvation. We can gladly worship and appropriately exalt Christ as Lord. Because everything that he said and everything that he did, his claims to being God and his willing and obedient sacrifice on the cross, all succeeded and accomplished the will of the Father. Uh, and all of this is proven true. Because the tomb is empty, friends. The tomb is empty. And Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So look not to the things of the world, but set your eyes to where Christ is, seated in the heavens, Colossians 3.2. And may you have a wonderful and glorious Resurrection Sunday, wherever you may worship. And we certainly hope it'd be with us here at Grace Point. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Uh, we'll talk to you next time.